right, let me say a prayer for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We are incredibly thankful for this day. We're thankful for this time that you've given us to turn towards you. Pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to your good word this morning, and that, Father, you would be at work in our lives all through the year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I read an incredible idea this week. It came from an, uh, a writer named Jeanette Winterson. She said, I know now, after 50 years, that the finding, losing, forgetting, remembering, leaving, returning, never stops. The whole of life is about another chance. And while we are alive till the very end, there is always another chance. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment, like especially going into a new year ahead of us, there's always another chance. Another chance to grow and a chance to learn and a chance to try again. So as we kick off a whole new month, a whole new year, we have before us this world of possibility, and we get to ask ourselves the question, what chances might we take this year? What plans might we make to become the men and women that God has created us to be? And so I want to dive into this, giving us a little bit of a structure, and it comes from the book of Philippians. Um, Paul writes his friends in Philippi, a letter, and in the beginning of the letter, he had this prayer that he shares with them, that he's been praying for them. And this is what it says in Philippians 1, starting at verse 9. So this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Now, I, he's got a lot of words in there. I'm going to read this to you one more time in a different translation. It's the NLT. He says, I pray that your love will overflow flow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So Paul says, there's three big ideas here that I've been praying for you, my friends, for the church. He says, I want love to grow, that it's just flowing out, it's overflowing out of you. And as you grow in love, you grow in knowledge and understanding, and you learn how to make good choices and know what's best and what really matters the most. So we're going to look at these ideas and say, what if this became our prayer for not just ourselves and each other, but for the church? What might God do through these ideas this year? So the first idea, he says, I pray that your love may grow with knowledge and understanding. And it's interesting how he couples these ideas together. So he says, I want your love to grow, but I want your knowledge to grow and your understanding to grow as well. Your heart and mind should grow together. So what happens is if we just get smarter and smarter and smarter, knowledge puffs up where love builds up. But when we grow in our knowledge and our love, there's this healthy balance that shows up in who we are and how we treat one another. N.T. Wright said, I pray that, he's praying that love will overflow in knowledge and wisdom. If Christian love is to be the genuine article, true love for God, true love for one another, it's bound to work its way out in a knowledge and wisdom, which is more than mere book learning. This kind of knowledge is a deep insight into the way God's world truly is. A knowledge open to everyone who's prepared to give themselves wholeheartedly to God in love through Jesus Christ. So he says, in Christ, we should be growing both in knowledge and understanding also 
in love. Our minds should grow and our hearts should grow. So how do we grow in love? It starts with our relationship to Jesus Christ. The more I know Jesus Christ, the better I'm loving Christ, the more capable I am, not just changing my behavior or my choices, but loving the right things at the right time. And it really starts with the knowledge of how wonderful and good Jesus Christ is. When we start with how much Christ truly loves us, it changes everything. We, we don't start from the list of the do's and the don'ts and the goods and the bads and the rights and the wrongs. We start with Jesus Christ because knowing who he is and the love that he has for us changes everything. When Christ came into the world to be God with us, he never treated us in a selfish way. He never held himself back from us. This God who made everything, the heavens and the earth, stepped into our history, our humanity, our reality, to be with us, to be for us on our side. And as we understand what Christ did while he was here, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death because of his great love for you and I. I love how I know Timothy Keller is so incredibly smart and how he talks about this always overwhelms me. In his book, The Prodigal God, he said, we always think of the word prodigal as wayward. The son who took the dad's money and turned away from his family, lost his way, spent everything. He said what prodigal actually means is recklessly spendthrift. Listen to this. Jesus is showing us the God of great expenditure who is nothing if not prodigal toward us, his children. God's reckless grace is our greatest hope, a life-changing experience. We know that God has this reckless grace because of how Christ gave everything that we might know him and live. And when we really, really live in the love and understanding of who Christ is, it changes everything. The better I love Christ, the better I am able to love everything and everybody else better. All my loves become better when Christ is leading the way. His humility, his service, his love, they all compel us to choose better every single day. And as we love Christ, as his love takes root and grows in us, we're able to love one another better. We're able to love the people who are near to us as we love ourselves. We're able to love the people around us as we love ourselves. We're able to love the people that we come into contact with day after day, whether it's home or work or in the streets or social media or at school, at the store, at church. We're able to love them better and treat them better because of Christ at work in us. We love God by loving others well. We love God by treating each other with kindness and goodness and encouragement and being a source of hope and compassion in our neighborhoods. We love God well by loving our neighbors, by being patient and kind. And as the love of Christ grows in us, it flows out of us in love towards other people. Paul says, I'm praying that as Christ's love grows in you, what flows out of you is loving other people well, which 
goes alongside of knowledge and understanding. Now, it's interesting because usually when we think about the idea of wisdom, we think about it at a couple of different ways. Some type of skill, right? Somebody's wise who can do something really, really well, whether it's a physical skill or an intellectual skill, whether it's a trade or profession that somebody's really good at. But we also think of it as the form of experience, right? Somebody who's lived a significant amount of time, they're considered wise. They've accumulated life experience. Or have you ever heard the expression, you're wise beyond your years? Their experience in life taught them a whole lot really, really quick. So usually wisdom falls in one of these two categories, what we know or what we do. But when you really study the idea of wisdom in the Bible, it's more about life skill the ability to do life well, to the very possible effect, how to navigate your way through life when it's weird and twisty and turny and odd and things that you just never could predict, all while growing in the process. Wisdom is the ability to discern and apply knowledge to our everyday life. It's one thing to know something, right? But knowing something doesn't guarantee I'll do that something. Just because I know the right thing to do doesn't mean I'll do the right thing. So knowledge and understanding go together. God wants us to grow in knowledge and understanding to live life well. Wisdom is learning how to live life well in our reality, in our context, in where we are right now. And he's given us the ability to grow and develop and learn so that we can approach life better again and again and again. So how do we grow in love? How do we grow in wisdom? It starts with what God gave us as the tool to learn and grow the Bible. He gave us this beautiful jam-packed book with all of these different books inside, with all these different histories and narratives and characters and lives and gospels and poetry, all to help us learn how to live well, how to live with integrity and character and learn from the lives of other people how to develop skills that navigate the tough choices we have to make in life. The more time we spend with God and what he gave us in the Bible, the more wisdom we learn, we acquire to do life better. You can't grow with God apart from his word. We can't really get a fully developed view of the world and life without diving in deeper to who God is and what he desires for us which means reading the Bible has to be a regular part of our life. The good news is it's a new year, and if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, if you have an iPad, you can download the YouVersion Bible. There's beautiful plans that you can read the Bible in a year, three years. You could be crazy adventurous and read it in 90 days. It's possible. It's really hard. I've done it one time. I'd be in the pickup line at school trying to read through my chapters. But there's so many different ways to navigate it. You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian. You don't have to have a PhD. You could have all of those things. The Bible has something for you right where you are now. And we grow in wisdom by spending time reading and studying these ideas and these big things that God has given us to learn. But we also grow in our wisdom and understanding and love through the people he's put in our life to do life with. We can learn and grow from each other. 
If we want to live better lives, if we want to learn how to do life well, we look to the people around us. We grow by observing the people and what they've been through and what they've learned, and we share our life experiences with each other. We can learn from our good choices and our bad choices. Sometimes the best way to learn what not to do is learning from somebody else making that choice first, right? I don't have to make the same choice. They showed me. Got it. Check, right? Sometimes we get to share our life experience with each other to help walk through life. God's given us each other to learn from and grow with, and the very places that God wants to challenge us and develop us and grow us comes from the life that we're doing with the people around us. But who are you doing life with? Who's in your life right now that can challenge you, that can set an example from their life experience about what they've learned and how they've grown? Who's doing life with you that you can ask hard questions and think through hard ideas together? Because God's given us this beautiful book, the Bible, and he's given us each other that we can learn how to do life well so that flowing out of us is wisdom and love and understanding to be more and more who he's called us to be. So Paul says, I'm praying that you grow here, that love and wisdom and understanding would just bubble up out of you. But then the second thing he's praying for is that you would understand what really matters. Now, I love this because depending on what version, sometimes it says discern what's best, know the right thing to do. What he's really saying is, how do you make good choices in life? We all have to make choices every single day, right? We've just got unending amounts of choices before us. How do we know what really matters the most so that we build our life choices around that? How do we choose what's best? How do we make choices between what's right and wrong? And when we're in hard situations and we don't know what to do, how do we know the right thing to do? So Paul's praying, I want you to understand life in the way that at the core of who you are, you know what matters most. Yes, some days we'll make good choices and some days we'll make bad choices, but we keep going back to what matters the most. There's a really cool book by Andy Stanley. He's an incredible pastor in Georgia, and he wrote this book called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. He says, our decisions shape the quality of our life. Decision-making, it's heavily influenced by our emotions, our appetites, and they're never made in neutral environments. So what happens is, you ever find this? Like, when it matters the most, you're not typically at your best. <laughs> like, when everything's on the line is usually when the emotions are highest and it doesn't call out the best in you. Just because we know what the right thing to do is doesn't guarantee that we'll do it. Nobody plans to make bad decisions, right? Like, nobody wakes up today and says, man, I want to make a decision today that just like crushes the next five years of my life. I want to do something today that's just going to take me out of the game for a few years. Nobody makes that choice in the morning. But at the same time, we don't plan not to. We don't have a plan in place that says, I don't want to make bad decisions that lead to a lifetime of regret. How can I avoid that? And so it's really interesting in his book, he goes through five questions that we can ask to help us make better decisions. I'm not going to go into it. It would take too much time. Read it. It's a really good book. There's an audio version, and he narrates it himself. But one of the questions he asks, he calls it the maturity question. And what happens is, he says, our inclination in life is to live as close to the line as possible. So what happens, we say, if it's not wrong, it's all right. 
If it's not illegal, it's permissible. If it's not immoral, it's acceptable. If it's not over the line, it's fine. So we're kind of tiptoeing, like, where's that line, right? If you've raised children, remember when they're little, like, how far can they go? How far can they push, right? We don't lose that behavior as we get older. It just manifests itself different. How close to bad can you get without really being bad? How far over the line can you go without really getting caught, right? So he says what happens is we're asking the wrong question. Instead, the question we should be asking is, what is the wise thing to do? Because it's foolish to live on that line of what's permissible. Listen to what he says. Our greatest regrets, regrets are always preceded by a series of unwise decisions. So knowing who we are, our past, who we are today, what we want for the future and who we want to become, what is the wise thing to do? It's not saying don't do bad things, don't do wrong things. It's saying what's the most wise decision you can make in this moment? Because otherwise, regret sneaks in. So how do we make decisions today that have tomorrow in mind? When we use wisdom as our guiding course, it paves the way, he says this, for ending somewhere on purpose. We're all going somewhere. Whether we're actively choosing that somewhere or passively coasting day by day, we're going somewhere. But when we say, I understand what really matters the most, we get to end on purpose. We get to go like this, because life isn't a straight course, but we get where we want to go on purpose instead of stumbling and fumbling our way through days. When you look at your life, what really matters the most? When loving Christ is at that core central of who we are, it helps us love everything else better. When we know who we are and who's created us and the purpose that he's given us in this life, it helps us have a center of this is what matters the most. And when I've got Christ at the core and he's guiding me, then what happens is we get to ask ourselves, what is the wise thing to do? In every day, in every choice, in every moment, we get to direct our life based on this wisdom that he's given us. And then here's the third thing Paul says. I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, to live pure and blameless lives. Okay, sometimes we read that and we're like, well, count me out, <laughs> right? Like, Pure and blameless flew the coop like 10 years ago. I don't know how to recover from that. And sometimes we miss the context of what's trying to be said. What Paul's not saying is you need to be perfect, because we would all be ruled out at that point, right? What he's not saying is you need to have a, a perfect track record and never have done anything wrong. Again, we'd all be counted out at that point. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to know Christ in the kind of way that it shows up in your day-to-day -day living that knowing Christ would lead to the kind of wisdom that leads behavioral choices and wisdom and understanding and love, not filled with regret or guilt, but letting the goodness of God direct you. Now here's what's interesting, because this is Paul. Remember we studied this idea in Galatians. What did he call it? The fruit of the Spirit. That what is being produced in us, what's growing in us as we do life with Christ is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Why is that what Paul is praying would grow in us? Because it's who Christ is. And as we grow with Christ, as we know Christ better, people should see more of him in us. His goodness should be growing in us. His faithfulness should be growing. His gentleness should be produced in us. 
The goal of growing in our faith is to become more and more like Jesus Christ so that our character, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions will grow more and more into who he's called us to be. The more time we spend with him, the more he shows up in our day-to-day lives, our day-to-day thoughts, our day-to-day choices, our day-to-day actions. It takes work. It doesn't happen overnight, right? I said yes to Jesus a few years ago. It was longer than a few years ago. It was a lot of years ago. But guess what? God's still working on my heart. He's still working on my mind. He's still working on my choices. But as we stay in the game, as we do life with Christ, we become more and more who he's created us and called us to be. Now, here's a really big distinction, because sometimes we think righteousness, and we think like, oh, self-righteousness, judgmental, right? We know some of those people. It's not about those things. It's not about making yourself look so perfect and so good on the outside. Meanwhile, on the inside, you're just rotting away and corrosive. It's not about saying the right religious words while being horrible to people. That's never been who Christ called us to be. It's growing with Christ in the kind of way that we become more loving, more kind, more patient, more gentle, more in control of who we are. Charles Swindoll said, faith is an endurance race that tests the runner's determination to keep going despite the cry of every cell in his or her body to slacken or to quit. Faith isn't a one-time thing. It's not a one moment, the music was right, things felt good, I said yes, and then I went back to everything else. Faith is a lifetime of getting to know Christ more and more. And sometimes getting to know Christ means I have to unlearn a lot of other things. Sometimes it's unlearning what I thought was the right religious way to live. Sometimes it's unlearning what I thought was my own way to live. It's day after day letting Christ be at work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Letting him guide us and shape us and direct us. It's walking through life with an open heart for what Christ might do next. There's a lot of reasons to close down our hearts. There's a lot of reasons to say, I'm done, it's too hard, it's too much. But trusting God in the challenging times and the frustrating times and every moment in between is how we grow in faith. It's the process of not God is doing terrible things to me. God doesn't like me. God is against me to seeing. God is so for me that he gave us this incredible gift of life, this wonderful, precious, fragile gift. And every day seeing the gift as something to be thankful for, something to say, God, thank you for this day, for this life, for this moment. There will always be a million reasons to quit. There will always be a hundred million reasons to give up and throw in the towel and be done. But the heart of faith that knows Jesus Christ will not give up. It is persistent and determined to the end. Paul says, I'm praying this for you, that your love and wisdom understanding might flow out of you, that you might know what really matters the most. And as you do life with Christ, you would produce more and more of who he is and who you are. The year ahead of us is a great gift of possibility. Who we are, who we're becoming, what we do next. There's hope and possibility in every one of the days. And we get to start with, what time will I spend with God this year? What time will my heart be open to let him guide me and him grow me and him direct me?
because the more we do life with him, the more that flows out of us is his goodness, his gentleness, his kindness, and his love. James Clear, who's a wonderful author, especially about habits and figuring out life, listen to what he said. He said, you can graduate with the finest degrees. You can read the most useful books. You can enjoy the loving support of family and friends, but your degrees can't take action for you. Your books can't make the decision for you. Your family can't live your life for you. There's no substitute for courage. At some point, you have to make the choice. At some point, you have to say, now, now is the time. No more excuses, no more putting it off, no more letting just it all go past us with no resistance and drifting through day after day. Today is the day and now is the time. What if we chose to do life with Jesus Christ this year? To let his goodness and love flow out of us, to grow in wisdom and understanding, to know what really matters the mo most, that our faith in him might produce in us a life that matters and is lived on purpose. What if we chose to live into those values that he's called us to be? We get to ask ourselves, who are we going to be this year? Who will we choose to be in 2023? Because when we choose to do life with Christ, everything is possible and anything can be. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would incline our hearts towards what is right and what is good. I pray, Father, that you would let the love of Jesus Christ flow out of us in powerful ways this year. I pray that we would do life with you in the kind of way that shows up in our choices, our actions, our behavior, our thoughts, and our hearts. I pray, Father, that as we do life with you, we would know what matters the most. Our faith would grow, and we would grow into the men and women you've called and created us to be. I pray that the year ahead of us would be better than any year before, that you would do an incredible work in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in the church, and in this beautiful community. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.